the, the dialogue focused on ways in which we could, for us, uh, imagine how Baptists and Methodists could see one another as participants in God's mission together rather than as competitors in a, in a diminishing market. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship has valued theological education as a vital component of vocational ministry preparation for more than 25 years. It puts these words to action by investing in students who are current and future ministry leaders in CBF Life. The fellowship awards up to 70 scholarships annually to Baptist students enrolled in the Master of Divinity degree program at an accredited institution of higher education. For more information about all that CBF offers students, visit cbf.net slash seminary dash resources. In this week's episode, we're going to have a conversation with Curtis Freeman. He's a research professor of theology and Baptist studies and director of the Baptist House of Studies at Duke Divinity School in Durham, North Carolina. He also served as co-chair of the recent five-year dialogue between the Baptist World Alliance and the World Methodist Council. He's authored several books, including Undomesticated Ascent, Democracy and the Public Virtue of Religious Nonconformity. I had a chance to sit down and talk with Curtis in July during the Baptist World Alliance meeting in the Bahamas. I particularly wanted to talk with him about this five-year Baptist-Methodist dialogue that is completed, the report's out. And so he's going to talk about that, but he's also going to introduce the Baptist Health of Studies at Duke Divinity and the program of education that they're doing there. So here's my conversation with Curtis Freeman of Duke Divinity School. Curtis, thanks for joining us on the program. Hey, Brian. Thanks for asking me. Now, I want to talk in a bit about Baptist and Methodist dialogue. Okay. Let's right. set the stage a little bit with you and your background. Right. You're at Duke Divinity School. Right. And tell us a little bit about your, your leadership and your role there. Okay. This is, I'm starting my 19th year at Duke Divinity School. For your listeners out there, Duke is uh, the largest United Methodist affiliated seminary. We're situated in an R1 university, Duke University, uh, which was actually founded, has Methodist connections, but it's like a lot of schools. It does church connections or in the wider university, not as strong. But in the Divinity School, it stayed remain with the United Methodist Church. So about half or a little more than half of the students in the different programs are going to be United Methodist affiliated. A lot of the faculty are United Methodist, but about half of the students are going to be from a wide variety of denominations. And the largest non-Methodist student body is uh, the, the, the Baptist students. Now, they come from a wide variety of Baptists. There's like every variety, and some of you probably haven't. I think the only group we don't have is like primitive Baptist. Okay. So, but well, like, we should leave a lot of groups still. Well, we've got we've got you know Converge. People don't know maybe who Converge: American Baptist, National Baptist, some Southern Baptist, Cooperative Baptist. So you you name it, we've got them. And you lead the the, the Baptist, Baptist House of Studies. So we thirty years ago, just now, actually thirty one, finished our thirtieth year getting ready to start the 31st year of the Baptist House that was started at Duke. It was at the time when the Southern Baptist Convention seminaries began to have 
troubles about theological education, about interpretation of the Bible, about the role of women in the church, and when the Cooperative Baptist and the other groups that came out of that. And so there's there are now 12 schools affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist that are in some configuration, a part of the CBF consortium. And so the Baptist House Studies is one of those. So what does that program look like? Okay, that's a great question. Uh, Overall, there are a little over 600 students at Duke Divinity School in like all the programs, including the PhD programs. And so there are, uh, just give and take any different year, there are going to be about 100 Baptist students. And so the Baptist House of Studies is basically responsible for caring for those students. The largest group of them is going to be the Master of Divinity students. Most of them are going to be headed to some form of Christian ministry, congregational, maybe chaplaincy or something like that. So we make sure in in an ecumenical divinity school that they're going to get the kind of formation, the kind of preparation that's going to prepare them to go out and be Baptist ministers. You're you're kind of then on that uniquely Baptist side of their broader education. Correct. Correct. I, I mean, I teach other courses. I supervise doctoral students, but the, the the main work that I do is still with the formation of the Baptist students. Which is also the focus of your own scholarship. Yeah. No, Baptist it history. And, it is. It uh, is. And, and that's been a great thing to be able to kind of merge those and it, it enables me to, to kind of stay current and um, I mean, I, my, I think my students think that it's crazy that I can spend like weeks reading old manuscripts and come back so excited telling them, you don't believe what I read in this document from 1631. So, uh, so anyway, I get excited. You laugh about it. But yeah, it no, I, 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 I get it. I can get lost. Yeah, yeah no, it's interesting. Yeah. At least one of your most recent publications on domesticated descent. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That That was a book that. It kind of grew out of, uh, it's one of those that sort of almost wrote itself. It came out of a visit to um, a, a cemetery in London on the north side. And when I when I went there, it was actually during uh, the Congress of the BWA Centenary Meeting in 2000, was that 2005? And I took a group there. And when we went there, they're in the courtyard. They're like uh, 120,000 graves of dissenting uh, Christians that are, there in that cemetery. And uh, in the courtyard, there are three. There's a memorial to John Bunyan, as people may know, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. There's a memorial to Daniel Defoe, who wrote uh, Robinson Crusoe. And both of those books are widely read and known. Then there's a third uh, memorial by someone that probably isn't as well known, and and you will know, uh, William Blake, who was a poet and kind of transcendental philosopher of one sort or another. And he wrote a very, very famous poem called Jerusalem. So the book is sort of about the three of those and the story of nonconformist Protestant Christianity and really kind of how the reception of that comes through those three books. But it's, it's again, one of those things that enables me to kind of tell the story to the, to the Baptist students, the wider Baptist public, but also um, <clears throat> to my my scholars, so my my, my colleagues there at, at Duke and elsewhere. So it you know it, it keeps me honest, but uh, you know I've got another project kind of grown out of that as well. Yeah, I love that that book particularly. I think it's interesting as you're describing your scholarship, looking at these dissenters mm-hmm. from from back then, and then here you are at the Baptist House, which is also kind of a dissent. From you know the Southern Baptist yeah. Seminary, uh, your 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 past and your present, or the Baptist past and your right. present, 
are kind of still mixing together. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about then what you've been talking about with right, at the Baptist right. World Alliance community. So for five years, right, we had we had an international dialogue between the World Methodist Congress, which is the analogous body to the Baptist World Alliance. So it's various Methodist Wesleyan bodies, Pan Methodism, they would call it. And so we had five years each year we would meet for a week to discuss uh, ways in which Baptists and Methodists might think about our relationships. It was odd that during all the dialogues that the BWA had had, we'd never had one with with the Methodists. Uh, You know, being in a Methodist seminary myself, I I, I engage lots of Methodists, and I'm sure most of your listeners will say, well, you know, my neighbors are Methodist, or, you know, my family, my wife is Methodist, my husband, my my aunt and uncle, or whatever. So Methodists and Baptists have a, a really interesting intertwined history. We come both from England in a very similar period of time, Baptist out of the 17th century, but Methodist out of the 18th century in England. But, you know, we've been shaped by by Methodist hymns, John Charles Wesley. There's just so many ways in which Baptists and Methodists have been intertwined. And so the the dialogue focused on ways in which we could, for us, uh, imagine how Baptists and Methodists could see one another as participants in God's mission together rather than as competitors in a, in a diminishing market. And oftentimes, I think that if you think about churches and denominational or sectarian models, you see, well, you know, we, we've got to, you know, beat the Methodist or the Methodist saying we've got to get more of this than the Baptist. But beginning to see ourselves as we're, it's not about our denominational identity as much as it is somehow participating in this bigger mission that God has all of us involved in. So that, that, that meant a better understanding doctrinally. So we focused on not only our joint kind of shared heritage that we have, we focused a lot on understanding of the church, the nature of salvation. Methodists emphasized much more about uh, sanctification, growth in, in, uh, in love, they would call it, in perfection and holiness. And those are things that Baptists would lift up, but maybe not in the same ways that Methodists do. Baptists have tended to focus more on revival, at least my tradition coming out of an evangelical Baptist background with revivals and that sort of thing, you know, making sure that people know Jesus and have a personal relationship. But, you know, justification and sanctification are two sides of one coin. And so that's, you know, there's a lot of sharing of gifts there. The um, I'd say probably the biggest challenge that we faced in it and it's one that is really important because when you think about that we're sharing in a mission together, the, the, the Great Commission in Matthew, Jesus said to the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And so one of the questions that we had to deal with is like, well, baptism is something that unites us, that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're all baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what we believe about baptism and even how we practice it has become through our past and even our present an occasion for division. And so we, we worked on that a good bit of how we could understand the process of making Christians how Methodists do that, how Baptists do that, the way that infant baptism fits into it, 
confirmation, how how Baptists could understand infant dedication, you know, followed by baptism, and all leading to this process of Christian discipleship and and really uh, growing into the unity of Christ. That that was, I think, a really eye-opening thing for a lot of the people in the members of the dialogue team. And so I, I'm hoping that that will be something that can be taken up a good bit more because I think there may be folks, Methodists and Baptists, that see that as a kind of impasse. That, But I, I think uh, I've been now in three dialogues, one a five-year dialogue with the Anglican Communion, another with the Roman Catholic, uh, the Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity, and now the Methodist Dialogue, all of which have emphasized that same process of initiation that, that I talked about. And I think it's a really important step because it gets us past the idea of like, you baptize infants, we baptize, you know, adults, you sprinkle, we dip, to think about what does it mean to make disciples of Jesus? What does it mean to be involved in that commission, that that, he, that great mission that he's called us to? I wonder if you could maybe open the doors a little bit more to the, so what was the process? Like, who's who's there and uh, okay. what are you all doing during right, these five right, years? Right. So the, uh, the, the team we had, since it's the BWA, we had members on our team a couple from the U.S. There was one from Great Britain, one from India, Latin America. So we, we had widely represented team members. I think there, there were seven, eight on each side. And so the Methodists had a counterpart group. And we would meet once a year for a week. We would travel around to various places. Um, the last the last time, well, one of the one times we met in Jamaica, not far from here, which was really a remarkable place because there there was uh, one of the Methodists was from Jamaica and was able to to do that. But one of the things that we did in the dialogue too is that we we looked at in these places we would go where what what Baptists and Methodists were doing together, and sometimes how our histories were connected. So, for example, in Jamaica. In 1831, there you may know of the slave revolt that was there. It was led by a, a Baptist minister by the name of Sam Sharp, who was one of the African people of African descent that was enslaved. But but he was he was encouraged by not only the missionaries that came from the the, the British Baptist the, the Mission Society, but also the Methodists. And they the both the, the Baptist and Methodist churches supported that revolution. They, they had to be very careful about how they did it, but they really were supportive of bringing slavery to an end. And uh, that was a really big thing to see how they got involved in that together. And so that was, it was important for us to tell those kinds of stories. We did the same sort of thing when we were, when we met for our first meeting in Birmingham, Alabama, we went to the uh, 16th Street Baptist mm-hmm. Church and to the, to the Civil Rights Museum across the street. And we went to Methodist churches and Baptist churches. And so those, those local contextual experiences were built into the dialogue as well, trying to hold up how Methodists and Baptists around the world could really be better partners in mission together. So, but that went on for five years, yeah. and we we met it. We met one year in Singapore, which was remarkable to see how bad we we actually went to a Methodist church. It was a huge Methodist church, and they had one of the biggest baptistries I've ever seen. I've never seen a Baptist church have a baptistry this big. It was outdoors because it's a tropical, you know, tropical culture there, and it's warm all year round. And but the baptistry was this big platform outside, and they had a kind of amphitheater. And they would baptize, you know, 
dozens of people. And it was like a swimming pool, um, you know, where they would march down through it. So uh, they, they, they uh, this was a, a church that I think if, if there's hope for them, if, you know, a lot of times we get look at what's happening in the U.S. with the Methodist church. But when I saw what was happening in Singapore and the, and the vibrancy of the Methodists there, I, th- I thought, well, if there's hope for the Methodists, we need, to get, we need to get people from Singapore coming to the U.S. So that, that was really encouraging to me to see that, that when we get outside of our environment and go and see what Baptists and Methodists were doing in other parts of the world, it, it can be really amazing. So that was, that was one of the encouraging parts to, for me. Yeah, I think it's so fascinating because, you know, you're talking about a conversation between two world communions. Right. And yet your meetings, you were looking down at the, the micro level, right. the local level of what was happening. And I know that's kind of your goal now of what's happened that your five years is done. And you, right. you all have produced a report to kind of right. talk about what you learned right. as well as what you kind of hope will happen. So can you give us a little feel of what did you all report on? Well, I mean, the, as I said, the report basically gives um, ways in which we we feel like that Baptists and Methodists share so much in common, and it's on from themes about not only our shared history of of why we came into being as a renewal movement for the church in England that time it was the Anglican Church, both Baptists and Methodists saw themselves bringing a, a kind of renewal of something that was missing in the church. For Baptists, it was this sense of, of, of following Jesus and being baptized. For the Methodists, it was a sense of, of holiness. And, and both of those, I think, have remarkable gifts to, to bring. And so understanding of the church as a covenant community, this sense of, uh, of salvation, justification, sanctification, baptism that we talked that I talked about and so we what we produced in the report was descriptions of all of those topics and then we also produced a study guide which I think maybe it is for for BWA it's the first time that we've done a study guide and it's geared for small group studies they could be church studies they could be home group studies where if like if you had you know, Methodist. If you if you had a family or several families that did Methodist and Baptist, they wanted to 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 look at the report and ask questions and have a time to read a scripture and have prayer together about that and conversation. The study guide will do that. It's a series of five sessions that they can work through. It could be for a church group. It can. I'll use it in in my seminary classes mm-hmm. to get Methodist and Baptist students to talk with one another. So our, our hope is that, it, that it'll stimulate on the local levels those kinds of conversations. It's always the hard thing because we spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of our resources producing a report and coming to the kinds of conclusions and recommendations that we did. And then they can often just sit. So these, the report and the study guide are both available. The World Methodist Council has a website, and the BWA have their website, and these documents are there. So the part of our question is going to be how can we how can we commend these to to local church leaders that will say here are materials that can be used, you know, in your in your local study for your churches. Our hope would be that it could it could stimulate and I can imagine in my context in North Carolina where if we have a small Baptist church and a small Methodist church and they may not have the resources to to pull off a certain ministry together, that by having conversations about the things that we've talked about in the report, they could say, Well, we really we're not just two competing churches, but we are part of one church 
the Church of Jesus Christ, and we can enter into this mission together. And we don't have to give up, you know, distinctives of we don't have to quit being Methodist or quit being Baptist, but we can we can share that together. We can receive the gifts of the other, but enter together into this um, into this mission. And it, you know, it could be something as simple as having a you know a, a clothing ministry or food pantry ministry, or it may be something more. Uh, we've seen churches where they literally would uh, Baptists and Methodists would enter into what's called a, a, a local ecumenical partnership where they would have one congregation that would have Methodist and Baptist members, but one minister. And then they would meet together as one congregation, but they would have, they would retain different Methodist and Baptist, you know, identities within the congregation, but still be one congregation. So I could imagine that we might actually be involved in church planting together because church planting is, is huge resources to start. And a lot of these don't work, but what if Methodist and Baptist said, well, why don't we join in on this together and let's start some new, some new congregations and see what happens. That's at least part of the hope that we have. Yes. That's good. You know, one of the questions I was going to ask you, but then we kind of, so we just jumped right into this was, was going to be that big picture question. You yeah. shared on several of these of, of why even have these dialogues, right. but, but you really, you've already answered that because it really is about how do these local congregations, how can we relate to me? I think you've already answered that big picture question. Yeah. So why, why would we dialogue? And it's about, yeah, it's a, it's it's an, it's an important. Thing. I mean, hopefully, the the end goal, and this is when the if you look back at the beginnings of the ecumenical movement, it was it was a grand hope, and and it, and it started actually on the mission field. If you think of how the the faith and order movement got started, it was missionaries that realized we we don't have the resources that we need to be able to pull off with the Presbyterians doing all of their work and then the Methodists doing all their work and the Baptists. So can we share and can we cooperate? And they wanted to ask back in the sending continents, can't we begin to think about how to do that as our churches? And so ultimately, I mean, some people get nervous and say, well, now you're just getting, you're, you're finally wanting to get rid of all the denominations and just become one big global church. I mean, when Jesus comes, I think there won't be Methodist or Baptist or Catholics. They're just going to be, you know, it'll be the kingdom of God in his fullness. And, and that will, that will you know, I don't know what, what they'll call it, but it'll just be the city of God. But, uh, you know, can we begin to show what that might look like here and now? And, and so that would be the sort of the ultimate goal of being able, but like, even if we could just, even if we could just have a better understanding of one another and, you know, have a much more favorable, charitable understanding about who Methodists are. I love Methodists, not because I love Methodists particularly, but I love Methodists because they are the church of Jesus. And the same Jesus that I met in the Baptist church is in the Methodist church. And so I, I want the Methodist church to flourish. I don't want them to fight and divide. I want us to find a way to be on mission together instead of in, in divisive you know, arguments about one thing or another. So that's, that's my hope. And that's why I, I continue to think that ecumenism is a, is a worthwhile thing. It's, it's important for the BWA to do that because you know, the people that gather in these unions, uh, they're, they're out there in their own context 
they're going to face these kinds of tensions and divisions. And they need they need documents like this. They need better understandings and how they can how they can enter into those uh, relationships. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you, Curtis, so much for your time, for being on the program. But thank you most of all for what you've been doing and your work and your leadership. Well, thank you, Brian. I really appreciate it and appreciate the work that you do. So thanks. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. You can learn more about the Baptist House of Studies at Duke Divinity School at divinity.duke.edu slash formation slash houses dash of dash is study slash Baptists dash house. You can find the Baptist World Alliance at bwanet.org. On the BWA's website, if you click on programs and then go down to mission, evangelism, and justice, Once you're on that page, if you scroll down just a moment, you'll see a BWA dialogue update. You can find the final report of the dialogue with the Methodists, and below that, the study guide. And as always, you can find us at wardenway.org. Don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook. Head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people to find the show. You can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you have any comments or feedback, please send them to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. And if you'd like to give to support this program, we'd greatly appreciate it. All you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button, and whatever you give will help the production of this podcast, as well as our website and monthly magazine. Thanks for listening.